Chapter 16 A Plum Pudding Of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Alicia Messiah Plum Pudding Of Diverse Ingredients Discreetly Blended and Seasoned by Christopher Morley Chapter 16 West Broadway Did you ever hear of Finn Square? No? Very well, then. We shall have to inflict upon you some paragraphs from our unpublished work. A scenic guidebook to the 6th Avenue L. The itinerary is a frugal one. You do not have to take the L, but walk along under it. Streets where an L runs have a fascination of their own. They have a shadowy gloom, speckled and striped with the sunlight that slips through the trestles. West Broadway, which along most of its length is straddled by the L, is a channel of odd humors. Its real name, you know, is South Fifth Avenue. But the avenue got so snobbish, it insisted on its humbler brother changing its name. Let us take it from Spring Street southward. Ribbons, purple, red, and green, were the first thing to catch our eye. Not the ribbons of the milliner, however, but the carbon tapes of the typewriter, big cans of them being loaded on a junk wagon. Purple ribbons, we have often thought, would be a neat title for a volume of verses written on a typewriter. What happened to the used ribbons of modern poets? Mr. Hilaire Belloc, or Mr. Chesterton, for instance. Give me but what these ribbons type, and all the rest is merely tripe, as Edmund Waller might have said. Near the ribbons we saw a paper box factory, where a number of high-spirited young women were busy at their machines. A broad strip of thick green paint was laid across the lower half of the windows, so that these immured damsels might not waste their employer's time in watching goings-on along the pavement. Broom and Watts streets diverge from West Broadway in a V. At the corner of Watts is one of West Broadway's many saloons, which by courageous readjustments still manage to play their useful part. What used to be called the business men's lunch now has a tendency to name itself luncheonette or milk bar. But the old decorations remain. In this one, you will see the electric fixtures wrapped in heavy lead foil, the kind of sheeting that is used in packages of tea. At the corner of Grand Street is the Sapphire Cafe, and what could be a more appealing name than that? Delicious chocolate with whipped cream says a sign outside the sapphire. And some way farther down, at the corner of White Street, is a jolly old tavern which looks so antique and inviting that we went inside. Little tables piled high with hunks of bread betokened the approaching lunch hour. A shimmering black cat winked a drowsy topaz eye from her lounge in the corner. We asked for cider. There was none, but our gaze fell upon a bottle marked Irish Moss. We asked for some, and the barkeep pushed the bottle forward with a tiny glass. Irish Moss, it seems, 
is the kind of drink which the customer pours out for himself, so we decanted a generous slug. It proved to be a kind of essence of horned, of notable tartness and pungency, very like a powerful cough syrup. We wrote it off on our ledger as experience. Beside us stood a sturdy citizen with the freight hook round his neck, deducing a foaming crock of the legitimate percentage. The chief landmark of that stretch of West Broadway is the tall spire of St. Alphonsus's Church near Canal Street. Up the steps and through plain brown doors we went into the church, which was cool, quiet, and empty save for a busy charwoman with humorous Irish face. Under the altar canopy wavered a small candle spark, and high overhead, in the dimness, were orange and scarlet gleams from a stained window. A crystal chandelier hanging in the aisle caught pale yellow tinctures of light. No Catholic church, wherever you find it, is long empty. A man and a girl entered just as we went out. At each side of the front steps, the words Copiosa Apud Um Redemptio are carved in the stone. The mason must have forgotten the P in the last word. A silver plate on the brick house next door says Redemptorous Fathers. York Street, running off to the west, gives a glimpse of the old Hudson River Railroad freight depot. St. John's Lane, running across York Street, skirts the ruins of old St. John's Church, demolished when the 7th Avenue subway was built. On the old brown house at the corner, some urchin had chalked the word crazy. Perhaps this is an indictment of adult civilization as a whole. If one strolls thoughtfully about some of these streets, say Thompson Street, on a hot day, and sees the children struggling to grow up, he feels like going back to that word crazy and italicizing it. The tiny triangle of park at Beach Street is carefully locked up. You will notice the only plot of grass in that neighborhood, so that bare feet cannot get at it. Superb irony of circumstance. On the near corner stands the Castoria factory. Castoria being, if we remember the ads, what Mr. Fletcher gave baby when she was sick. Where Varick Street runs in there is a wide triangular spread, and this, gentle friends, is Finn Park, named for a New York boy who was killed in France. The name reminded us also of Elfin Finn, the somewhat complacent stage child who poses for chic costumes in vogue. We were wondering which was a more hazardous bringing up for a small girl, living on Thompson Street or posing for a fashion magazine. From Finn Square, there is a stirring view of the Woolworth Tower, also of Claflin's packing cases on their way off to Selma, Alabama, and Kalamazoo, Michigan, and to Nathan Povic, Bath, Maine. That conjunction of Finn and Bath, Maine, suggested to us that the empty space there would be a good place to put in a municipal swimming pool for the urchins of the district. Drawn from the wood, which legend still stands on the pub at the corner of Duane Street, 
Sounds a bit ominous, these wood alcohol days. John Barleycorn may be down, but he's never out, as someone has remarked. For near Murray Street, you will find one of those malt and hops places, which are getting numerous. They contain all the necessary equipment for, well, as the sign suggests, for making malt bread and coffee cake, bottle capping apparatus and rubber tubing and densimeters, and all such things used in bread making. As the signs say, malt syrup for making malt bread, coffee, cake, and medicinal purposes. To conclude the scenic pleasures of the 6th Avenue L route, we walk through the cool, dark, low-roofed tunnel of Church Street in those interesting blocks just north of Vesey. We hark to the merry crowing of the roosters in the Barclay Street poultry stores, and we look past the tall gray pillars of St. Peter's Church at the flicker of scarlet and gold lights near the altar. The black-robed nuns one often sees along Church Street, with their pale, austere hooded faces, bring a curious touch of medievalism into the roaring tide that flows under the Hudson Terminal building. They always walk in twos, which seems to indicate an even greater apprehension of the world. And we always notice, as we go by the pipe shop at the corner of Barclay Street, that this worthy merchant has painted some inducements on one side of his shop, which reminds us of the same device used by the famous tobacconist Bacon in Cambridge, England. Why, we wonder, doesn't our friend fill the remaining blank panel on his side wall by painting there some stanzas from Calverley's Ode to Tobacco? We will gladly give him the text to copy if he wants it. End of chapter 16. Recording by Alicia Messiah.